Will you pray with me? Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts together be acceptable in your sight through Christ Jesus, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I want to say up front that Pastor Jerry did not see the title of our new sermon series, Summer Travels with Jesus, and decide to take off today. Uh, <laughs> he is supplying the pulpit of our sister church in Newport Center this morning, and we do pray that God is speaking powerfully through him in those places. And I want to talk to you a little bit about the series that we're about to embark on. The Gospel of Luke is divided up or organized into seven readily identifiable segments. There are the birth and childhood stories, which you are very familiar with. There is the story of his preparation for ministry, the story of John the Baptist and Jesus' baptism. The third segment is his ministry in the northern region of Galilee, of his hometown, ministry filled with all kinds of powerful stories of healing and of controversy and of great popularity of this young rabbi uh, from Nazareth. The fourth segment is the story of Jesus' journey to Jerusalem, the, this uh, long journey that takes place, and that's where we're going to be uh, uh, sharing most of the summer are the stories that come out, the stories that Jesus told, the miracle stories about Jesus, the stories of his interaction with various people as he journeys to Jerusalem. The final three segments you know well. There was a, a week of ministry in Jerusalem, then his passion and his death, and then finally the seventh segment of Luke's gospel are the resurrection stories. So we're in the middle of this great grand sweep that we call the gospel of Luke. And we're in a time when we're talking about motion and movement. Jesus was powerfully successful in the northern region of Galilee. The word went out about him and that he was somebody who spoke as one with, with authority. He didn't cite previous rabbis as the rest of the doctors of the law did, but he spoke as if God were speaking to him. He caused all kinds of people to sit up and take notice. There were healings that took place, miracle stories. There was all kinds of wonderful things happening. He gave this long teaching uh, from a level place where uh, much of the same material that Matthew gives us in the Sermon on the Mount was given out to the people who gathered round. He called 12 people to him to be his disciples, and he named them. In this region around Galilee, he was growing and growing and growing in popularity, and people were coming from as far away as Jerusalem to see what was up. The problem is that Jesus set his ministry out to reach the very uh, ones who were lost in the midst of us, to seek and to find the lost. And to bring an empowering word of grace to those who are the least among us, those living at the margins, those who are uh, the most in need of help. And the challenge then is that often those who are the least among us are also the least equipped to make a journey to see J Jesus if they don't live nearby. 
Furthermore, those who are seeing Jesus as somehow a threat to their uh, established way of doing things are the least inclined to make a journey to see Jesus and to hear his teaching. But the long and the short of it is that the gospel can't stay in Galilee. Jesus isn't going to set up shop as an alternate place to come and worship. Jesus is going to go to Jerusalem. You remember from the childhood stories that when he was lost after his family had gone to Jerusalem and they came back looking for him, the first thing he said to his mother is, didn't you know that I would be in my father's house? For Jesus to come to Jerusalem is Jesus coming home. But the gospel itself has to move. It can't sit in one place. Neither can those who are disciples of Jesus sit in one place and expect the world to always come and be attracted. We have to go out and take the message to the people who need it most, to the lost ones, the least among us, to the last among us. It is incumbent upon us, and Jesus set out to show this to his disciples. It is incumbent upon us to take the message to them in every time and in every generation. And so we've set up a, a whole series of sermons for this summer called Summer Travels with Jesus. And you'll be seeing a collection of postcards on the bulletin each week, the snapshots of where we have journeyed as we go along the way and what happened at each stop along the way. This morning, we are not actually on the way to Jerusalem. Jesus has just called the disciples, and he kind of takes them out on what we might call a shakedown cruise to get them used to living portably, to get them used to living on the road, to get them used to travel as a main feature of the gospel. So he puts them in a boat, and he sails across the Sea of Galilee to the land of the Gerasenes, in Matthew, they're called the Gadarenes. Um, there are two cities out in that region, Gerasha and Gadara. Uh, they're a, a few kilometers apart, and we don't know who got mixed up in the telling of this story. But all of this area is a region that is sometimes referred to as the Decapolis because there are 10 cities in that region. And they're not particularly Samaritan cities. And they're not particularly Jewish cities. And at the present time that Jesus went there, they were all under Roman occupation. These poor people who lived in these ten cities were constantly being walked through, walked over, occupied. They had no power. There was a great city in Gerasha. There was a great city built by the Romans. Some of the ruins of it are still visible today, I'm told. The city gate. Uh, an amphitheater, a number of other features that were powerful. The Romans brought a blessing of sorts, but they were also bringing the heel of Rome down in that place. And as if to make matters worse, there was somebody living there in that city who was possessed by so many spirits or demons that he was literally impossible to live with. The Gospel of Luke tells us that the city had put him in chains and kept a guard over him, but he kept breaking loose and he would race off to live among the tombs at the outskirts of the city, a haunt of death. Jesus steps out of the boat and this man comes running up to him 
And the spirits that are within this man immediately announce to the people of that region who Jesus is. Interesting in the Gospel of Luke that the spirits never lie about Jesus. They instantly say, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? And then they begin to announce that he is the Son of God. Jesus said, who are you? And they answered, our name is Legion, because they were multiple facets of this demonic possession. At this point, the demons are afraid that Jesus is going to cast them into the abyss. Now, the abyss is something that the people of Jesus' time believed was the sort of dwelling place or the final resting place uh, of souls that were separated from God, that it was the jail where Satan would be bound eventually, says the book of Revelation. Interesting that in 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter said after he was killed, Jesus, always one to make the most of a circumstance, went down into the abyss to preach to the souls who were there or to proclaim the good news. This is why in our Apostles' Creed we still say he was crucified, dead, and buried, descended to the dead, and on the third day rose again. That's an important piece because in the theology of the early church, his descent to the dead answered once and for all the question, what happened to all those people who lived and died before Jesus came to the earth? He preached to them. Those who would hear the message of grace, we are to believe, are redeemed right along the rest with the rest of us. And that's good news, is it not? And so they say, do not cast us into the abyss, these spirits. Then they beg Jesus to cast them instead into a herd of swine, knowing that they were going to take the swine and dive into the sea. The sea at the time of Jesus was considered a place where evil spirits often haunted. In fact, a, a maelstrom had blown up on the night before when Jesus and the disciples were sailing across the lake. What the spirits didn't know was that even the wind and the waves obeyed Jesus. They thought by going into the sea, they'd get away. They'd buy a few years. They'd have some time to get away from Jesus. They didn't know that this Jesus was not simply an exorcist, but he represented the power of God. And he has authority over the dwelling to which they are about to go. They, they enter the swine. They fly off the cliff. Those of you who remember Muppets will appreciate a shirt somebody gave me once with a reference to this passage that showed a bunch of pigs tumbling off a cliff, and it was called Pigs in Space. Um, Miss Piggy would have been proud. And then there's a man sitting there. Now, the swine herds were hirelings who were told to keep an eye on the swine no matter what happens. And suddenly there was no swine to keep an eye on. So they raced into town and said, uh, we got some bad news for you. Your, your pigs rushed into the ocean. Well, how did that happen? Well, it turns out they were possessed. Well, how did that happen? Well, you remember the guy that's always running around among the tombs. You remember the guy, don't you? You remember the guy? The guy that you're always putting in chains. The guy that you're always setting a guard over. The guy whose possession you have learned to live with and you have accommodated all these years. He's not the same guy anymore. And they go out and they find the man sitting in his right mind. 
And it says that the people who lived in the region of the Gerasenes were terrified at that moment. And they begged Jesus to get away from them. You might be surprised at first blush that people who saw somebody healed in the midst of them would be begging Jesus to get away from them. But think about this for a minute with me. For there are many forms of chains and many ways that we keep people shackled and under guard. It's very important to us in every age and in every time to have certain people that we can blame for our problems. That certain people that we can look to and say, well, there but for the grace of God goes me. People who make us feel better because we're not them. There are certain people we count on to just stay where we put them and we have names for them and we have labels for them and we will not acknowledge them as human beings but we refer to them as scurf that we have to get away from. I watched this happen in a church that I served. A woman who had struggled for many years, she had had an addiction to uh, prescription drugs which was born of the fact that she also had a, a, a bit of a time dealing with a, a bipolar disorder and had to take some drugs to, to accommodate that. She had been in and out of relationships. She had struggled for most of her life, and the church had just sort of built a cage around her, kept her close, and not been able to do much more. And while I was having an opportunity to be her pastor, she was making a good turn. She was doing better. She was making strides. She was coming into her own. She was nearly 50 years old, and she had found her voice. And on one particular Sunday when I was going to be out of town, since she was a certified lay speaker in the United Methodist Church, I asked her to preach for me. Talk about waking up the country club. She preached a magnificent sermon. I sat down on Monday and I listened to it and I couldn't have been more proud to be an ambassador of Christ to see what she had done. No fewer than one dozen times that week, somebody knocked on my door at my office, went out of their way to wherever they were going to, to remind me that this woman had been addicted, that this woman had had struggles, that this woman had had issues. And I kept wondering, why are you telling me this? And then I remembered this man from the land of the Gerasenes, and I said, ah, we prefer her in chains. We prefer her the way she is. It is terrifying when God begins to heal people for real. It's terrifying for all of us. And Luke has to put this story in a Gentile region so we have every reason to understand that God is not just the God of the Jews or the God of the Christians, but God is the God whose power is over all the earth. And that God's heart and spirit is for all the people of the earth. 
And this deliverance, this healing, this power, as we make this journey to Jerusalem, all that will go out for Jesus, all that he will demand that his disciples assist him in doing, all of it belongs to God. Who can blame this man for wanting to get in the boat with Jesus after the way he has been treated in that region? Who could blame him? Not me. But Jesus says, no. No, you stay here. What you have gone through is enough for you to have a witness. You have a witness now. God has done something powerful for you. Don't come with me. You stay here and you proclaim in this city all the powerful things that God has done for you. That's a word for all of us. To stay in the city. To stay in the place. To stay where God has called us. Oh, how many times we want a fresh start and to start over. By the way, Pat, uh, Joe, this isn't uh, about you in this moment. Uh, to have that fresh start because the people around us they have this way every time we try to improve of shooting torpedoes at our boat and sinking it back down. Every time we try to rise of reaching up and pulling down on our feet. They have named us. They have labeled us. They have figured us out. They have told us where we're supposed to fit. Our families are sometimes the very, the very challenges that we face because they knew us when. They knew us when. But God is at work. And brothers and sisters, if you're somebody today who's trying to stride forward and trying to make new steps, then all you need to do is tell the marvelous, powerful works of God. People can't come against that. Bear witness to what God is doing in your life. Rise up and give testimony to how far God has brought you. And believe me when I say God will not let you be tumbled back into the place that you were. I know a good friend on the central coast of California, a Presbyterian, and yet we're still friends. Um, and he served as a missionary to Thailand for uh, 14 years. Then he came home to this country. He said when he first went to Thailand, they had a missionary school. His job was going to be to teach English in a Thai school. And he said they had a missionary preparation school. And the headmistress of the school where he would end up teaching said to him, before you go to the missionary school, I want to tell you, don't listen to a word they say. You have your eyes open and you have your ears open and you pay attention and God will show you what you need to do in this place. Sure enough, at the missionary school, all of these Christian missionary trainers were saying, you've got to watch out for the Buddhists. The Buddhists are the big cha biggest challenge to the gospel. The biggest challenge to the gospel in Thailand is the Buddhists. Watch out for them. And then my friend went out into the field, and he found out there were hardly any Buddhists in Thailand at all. There were a lot more animists. 
And the number one thing that an animist fears more than anything else, that's somebody who worships something in nature, a rock or a tree, or where they find some spirit or life in it. The number one thing they fear again and again is demon possession. And he said, once I learned that, being a Christian was easy. I said, if you come to Jesus Christ, you will see in the scriptures and you will see firsthand that he has power and authority over all the spiritual realms. You will never have to worry about possession again. This was good news. People flocked to that news because it was real news to them. Make sense? I would share one more illustration of how hard it is sometimes when God is at work, God is moving, and some of you will recognize this. In 2012, actually in 2010, the, uh, the Pierce County Tribune of all places in North Dakota published or republished an op-ed that was first written in December of 1959. And a, and a teacher in New Zealand found this republication and he put it in a high school paper in New Zealand uh, where somebody at a radio station in Canada found out about it and posted it on their website after they read it on the air. And from there, 25,000 other people posted it on their Facebook page. And uh, before you knew it, this thing had gone viral in 2012. This is written by a, a judge from Denver, Colorado, named Philip Gilliam in, 19, Gilliam in 1959. Maybe you've heard this before. Always, says this judge, always we hear the plaintive cry of the teenager, what can we do, where can we go? And the answer is, go home. Hang the storm windows, paint the woodwork, rake the leaves, mow the lawn, shovel the walk, wash the car, learn to cook, scrub some floors, repair the sink, build a boat, get a job. Help the minister, the priest, a rabbi, help the Red Cross or the Salvation Army. Visit the sick, assist the poor, study your lessons, and then when you are through and you're not too tired, read a book. Your parents don't owe you entertainment. Your city, village, does not owe you recreational facilities. The world doesn't owe you a living. You owe the world something. You owe it your time and your energy and your talent so that no one will be at war or in poverty or sick or lonely again. Grow up. Quit being a crybaby. Get out of your dream world and develop a backbone and not a wishbone. And start acting like a man or a lady. You're supposed to be mature enough to accept some of the responsibility your parents have carried for years. They have nursed, protected, helped, appealed, begged, excused, tolerated, and denied themselves needed comforts so that you could have every benefit. They have done this gladly, for you are their dearest treasure. But now you have no right to expect them to bow to every whim and fancy just because selfish ego instead of common sense dominates your personality your thinking, and your requests. In heaven's name, grow up and go home. Hmm. Actually, many of you are going, amen. That should have been read every year from our pulpit. But the truth is, far more young women and men than he had counted on in 1959 heard that call. But instead of going home, 
after they read the books, after they searched their hearts, after they started asking, what will the world that I grew up to be an adult in look like? After they had taken the fire of their uh, spirit and turned it to a pure blue flame, they took to the streets to march for civil rights. They took to the streets as Jesus freaks to say, you're right, we need to make sure the world has no more wars ever again. They took to the streets to share a message of peace and of love and of joy. And guess what happened to the next generation of adults? They set their hairs on fire because these kids weren't in the boxes where we expected them to be. They were bringing an entirely new world to, to bear on us. And it scared us all to death. But we serve a God who is more powerful than all of it. And in the midst of all of that maelstrom and all of those circumstances, we also put a man on the moon. We began to cure some diseases. And they invented Velcro, which is just about the most awesome thing in the world. And these people have grown up. But they've grown up on their terms. And they've grown up on Christ's terms. And guess what? A whole new generation is about to take to the streets. And God help us all. If we expect them to come where we've always been and do things the way we've always done it and said things the way we always say it, God help us all. Because, because Jesus is on the move. and He's going to go and find them. And he's going to speak to them. He's going to heal them, and he's going to deliver them, and he's going to make them right. They're going to be sitting in their right mind and full of the love of Christ. And it will be wonderful, wonderful to see if we have the courage to make this journey with him. Summer travels with Jesus. It's going to be a bumpy ride. But how much fun and how rewarding and how great will be my joy when I see 19 and 29-year-olds raising their hands and giving glory to God and bearing witness in the place where they live to the power of Jesus Christ to save. Amen.